Um, some of you may know that in 2006, I received some devastating news. Prior to that, my sight was progressively getting worse. Not in a rapid sense, but over a year, it became noticeable. Certain things I was able to read at, at a certain distance became more and more blurry over time. And so as my eyes were progressively getting worse, I went to the optician. And after examining me, I was issued with some glasses and a letter to give to my doctor. So basically, the optician said, you have a blind spot that we can't seem to solve. So this letter, so take this letter to your doctor so you can be examined. Now, I'm of the mindset that it wasn't really that much of an emergency. So three months later, I then went to see my doctor. <clears throat> and he said to me, you need to go to see the eye specialist at Lewisham Hospital. And so I went to see the eye specialist. Again, this is, I'm not in a hurry. So three months, three months after I've actually seen the doctor, I then went to see the eye specialist. And the only reason I went is because I, could only, I was beginning to only see out of the corners of my eyes. So the left corner and the right corner. And I would have to read things multiple times, um, just so I can understand what I was reading. And the, sometimes I would see zeros, but really they were either eights or nines. Um, and that's how bad it was, it was getting. So I went to the eye specialist, did a few tests. Uh, one of the tests I remember was that I had to cover my eye, one of my eyes, and then with the other eye, watch a pin as he moved it from left to right. So this pin was red. It was definitely red. And as he moved it across to one other side, it became brown. And so I was like, what's going on? So <clears throat> it freaked me out. And after the test, I was told to go for an MRI scan. Um, I went to the MRI scan. A week later, I came back. My wife was with me, and the doctor said, Mr. Semester, you have a tumor near your brain. You have to have a surgery immediately. So again, I'm of the mindset, could you not do it tomorrow? Because I have other things that I need to do. He says, no, Mr. Semester, you need to do it now. <laughs> At that time, work was more important than having surgery. So. <clears throat> So after two weeks in hospital, I was, so I had surgery, it went well. After two weeks in, in hospital, I was dis discharged. And because I had to take time off of work, I only received a few weeks sick pay. And so the source of income I had, I, basically the source of income that I had, had, had stopped. And it was the main source of income um, in my household. At that time, it was difficult. We had bills to pay, mouths to feed, and the money was running out fast. How do we, and this brings me to what we're going to talk about today, how do we trust God in hard times? Let's see what the Bible says about that in verses 2 to 25 of Philippians. But before that, let's, let's pray. Heavenly Father, teach us from your word today. As we look at the, the verses in Philippians, 
talking about Paul and Epaphroditus. Teach us about how to trust you in hard times. Teach us how to have the mindset of Jesus, who is the perfect example. And I pray, Jesus, that you would be glorified as we look at your word. Amen. Was I supposed to press record on this? Amen. I could do the intro again, but not now. Cool. Amen. <clears throat> so previously in this letter to the Philippians, Paul's um, opened up in prayer, thanking the Philippians uh, for their partnership. He talks about um, his imprisonment. He talks about following Jesus' example. And last week we heard that Timothy, we heard about Timothy as um, someone who follows Jesus' example. And now we come to Philippians 2, 25 to 30, which says, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him. And not only on him, but me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. So for this message, I have three points. Uh, point one, those who live for the gospel are other people-centered. Point two, those who live for the gospel walk worthy of the gospel. And point three, those who live for the gospel will have sorrow. So let's go with point one. Those who live for the gospel are other people-centered. Let's look at um, verse 25 if you look in your Bibles and on the screen. <clears throat> Paul thought it was necessary to send Epaphroditus back to the Philippians to the point where he was eager to send him back again to, to them. Paul gives a, a reason, a few reasons which are helpful to us as to why he would consider something necessary or particularly eager to do it. This is something not commanded in the Bible, like the Bible doesn't say send Epaphroditus back um, to, on such and such a date. We find most of the decisions that we have to make in life are made like the one that Paul had to make. So this portion of text is about Epaphroditus and his ministry to Paul, and Paul sending him back to the Philippians. If we look at the text, we see that Epaphroditus has was someone who Paul considered to be a brother, a fellow worker, a soldier, and someone who met his needs. It wasn't easy to let him go. He's a brother, a work colleague. He's a soldier or a, comra a comrade in arms. That is someone who has worked for the same cause or purpose as you and has shared in the same difficulties and dangers. He ministered to Paul's needs. And Paul's going to let him go. 
It's like giving up something that's really good for you. I was trying to think of something that was really good. I mean, exercise is really good for you. And then someone said sweets, and it's like, no, sweets ain't good for you. <laughs> um, can anybody think of anything that's really good for them that they have had to give up? Don't all shout out once. You see, I knew it. It was difficult, isn't it? No, it's all right. Exercise it is then. So Paul has to, to give up Epaphroditus. Why would you do that? Paul says it's necessary to let him go. Why? For he has been longing for you all, longing for the Philippians, and has been distressed because they heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, says Paul, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I'm, I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. And where it says Epaphroditus ministered to his need, in Philippians 4.18, Paul says, I have received full payment and more. I am well supplied, having received from Epaphroditus the gifts you sent, a fragrant offering, a sacrifice acceptable and pleasing to God. The Philippians probably sent money, clothing, uh, food, the things that Paul needed. And in in those times, um, I'm thinking that Paul was chained to um, a guard, and the only the only way that he could, um, you know, have food or get any sort of resources was if someone brought it to him. It's not like the prisons that we have in England today, where you get a three-course meal, you go outside, you watch TV. No, he's chained to a guard, 24/7, not moving. The only people that he can see. He can have visitors, but those visitors are the ones who are going to be able to, to feed him, to give him food, um, to look after his needs, change of clothes, and so on. And now Paul is sending him back, sending Epaphroditus back after he risked his life and after he'd become very ill to the point of death. You see, Paul, you see, Paul had learned to trust God in hard times. He was willing to let Epaphroditus go, even though Epaphroditus staying would have, seemed, would have been good for him. This then allowed Paul to trust God even more. When we look at the passage, there are five reasons that Paul thought it necessary and why he's eager to send him back to the Philippians. Reason one, in verse 26, Epaphroditus has been longing for them. He's a Philippian himself. He's longing for his countrymen. <clears throat> it's, like when we, it's like when we went to Austria for the first time in 2016, myself and my family. Um, before that, my son had gone um, ahead of us to do summer of service, where he, serves, he gets the opportunity to serve in a castle um, doing different chores. And he was away for nearly a whole month, 30 days before we saw him again. Yeah, don't worry, I was counting, man. I missed him. My wife missed him. I don't think my daughter missed him. <laughs> and when we saw him again, I was, I was relieved. I was full of joy. 
As I looked at him, I was getting all emotional, and I hugged him. And he said to me, you're right, Dad. And I said, yes, son, I missed you. So Epaphroditus has been longing for them. Reason two is in verse 26. Epaphroditus was distressed because the Philippians heard he was ill. So not only has he been longing for the Philippians, he was distressed. And when we compare ourselves to Epaphroditus, sometimes we can be so selfish in the way we think about our sickness. We genuinely want people to know that we're sick and to be attentive to us and help us. I'm the worst in my family, where everybody else just firms it if they got, you know, if they got some cold or something like that. Um, I'm like, oh, oh, it really hurts. And my, my daughter would say, Dad, seriously? But what's amazing about Epaphroditus is that he was distressed, not that he was sick, but that the Philippians heard that he was sick. And he's an example of what Paul wants us to see in Philippians 2, 3 to 4. That is someone who does nothing from selfish, selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility counts others more significant than himself. Epaphroditus is not distressed because he's sick. He's distressed because others are concerned about him. He's a person who looks not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Reason three. Paul thought it necessary to send him home and now is eager to do so um, because God had mercy on him and Epaphroditus. You see, God had mercy and he did not let Paul walk through added sorrow of the death of his friend and the Philippians minister. So if God had mercy on Paul by showing him that kind of kindness, should Paul then keep Epaphroditus because he's Paul's brother, because he's Paul's fellow worker, because he's Paul's fellow soldier and minister to his needs? No. Paul is going to show mercy to the Philippians by sharing him with them. And so this is God's mercy being extended through Paul back to the Philippians, which is another beautiful illustration of Philippians 2, 3 to 4. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests. How easy it would have been to, for Paul to keep Epaphroditus. Instead, he looked not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Reason four. In verse 28, is that the Philippians may rejoice at seeing Epaphroditus again. So Paul takes into account the joy of the Philippians. They love this man. They sent him for Paul's need, but now they would love to have him back. And the last reason in verse 28 is that Paul would be less anxious. His anxiety, his sorrows would be less. So how was, how was Paul other person centered? Well, he considered Epaphroditus' longing and his joy. Paul considers not keeping him for his own sake. Paul's not like, he's my brother. He's my fellow worker. He's my fellow soldier. He's, he ministers to my need. I want to keep him, 
It's best that he stays here. No. He takes into account Epaphroditus' longing. He considered the relief, he considered relieving Epaphroditus' distress, how he feels for them. He wanted to extend God's mercy to others. Paul wants to spread God's mercy to others, which has been shown to him where God did not allow Epaphroditus to die. He takes into account the mercy of God and that, has passed, that has been passed on to him. And lastly, he takes into account the joy of the Philippians. And the result of Paul being other person-centered was that his comfort and joy were met as he tries to meet the need of Epaphroditus and the Philippians. He doesn't look to his own interests only, but also to the interests of others. Paul was being other person-centered. He was looking to satisfy the need of others, seeing their needs as more important than his own. This is the kind of thinking we should do, so that when we think what, it's, what is necessary for me to do in my relationship with other people, we should take the example of Paul. For Paul, Epaphroditus' longing, he wanted to satisfy it. His distress, he wanted to relieve it. God's mercy, he wanted to spread he wanted to satisfy the Philippians' joy, and he wanted to be happy um, from his own effort. So the next time you have the opportunity to be other person-centered, if the person has a desire which is obviously not sinful, see if you can help. If the person is distressed, ask them, how can you help relieve their pain? And because God has shown you mercy, show mercy to others. When you do this, you will be happy from your own effort, knowing that you helped someone and glorified God, walking worthy of your calling. Point two. Those who live for the gospel walk worthy of the gospel. Those who live for the gospel walk worthy of the gospel. Let's look at Philippians 2, 3 to 8. This is where we see the desire of Paul for the Philippians. He says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So you're to count others more significant than yourselves. And then in verse 5, Have this mind, which is a mind for others, have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. And from verses 6 to 8, he gives Christ as the example of this mindset. In verse 6, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped. So Jesus moved from his very high and exalted status, not holding on to equality with God in all its glory, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being a servant is when you take an interest in others and you count others more significant than yourself. You're becoming their servant. Continuing in verse 7, He, Jesus, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, 
even death on the cross. This is the central requirement of this letter, of how to walk worthy of the gospel, which it says in Philippians 1.27. This is the mindset you have to have. You have to have humility. You have to have a servant heart like Christ did. So now when we look back at our main text in Philippians 2.25 to 30, we see Paul and Epaphroditus as examples of this. There are three ways that this text illustrates the mindset of Christ. Number one, Paul's joyful loss for the, for the Philippians' gain. Paul's joyful loss for the Philippians' gain. He says in verse 25, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, even though he's my brother, even though he's my fellow worker, even though he's my fellow soldier, even though he's your minister to my need. You see, all the descriptions of Epaphroditus say that Paul loves having him around. He loves having a brother like this, a colleague like this, a comrade in arms like this. He loves having someone in his imprisonment to meet his needs. And instead of holding on to him like Jesus might have held on to heaven, he sends Epaphroditus back to the Philippians. And we get a little more explanation in verse 28 as to what's going on. Paul's eager to send him back so that the Philippians can rejoice. In other words, Paul's choosing the Philippians' joy over his comforts. The second way this passage illustrates the mindset of Christ is Epaphroditus' distress for others and not for himself. Paul says in verse 26 that Epaphroditus has been longing for the Philippians and has been distressed because they heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus' distress was not because he was ill, but because the Philippians heard that he was ill, as I've said previously. It's a perfect illustration of Philippians 2.4, that each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And the third way this passage illustrates the mindset of Christ is that Epaphroditus had risked his life in order to serve Christ, which was also a serving of Paul. Verse 30 says, he nearly died for the work of Christ. He risked his life to complete what was lacking in the Philippians' service to Paul. The Philippians had goods that they wanted to give to Paul, but they weren't able to get them to him. So Epaphroditus became the link between Paul and the Philippians. He would take that six-week journey to get to Paul from Philippi, risking his life in face of all sorts of dangers um, along the way. So Epaphroditus risked his life in those two ways, one for Christ and one for Paul. He's a man for Christ's glory and Paul's good. You see, Epaphroditus had learned to trust God in hard times. He had walked worthy of his calling, risking his life to be a service to others for the glory of God. As we leave this building today, let us practice walking worthy of our calling. Let's practice righteousness. Let's do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than ourselves. Let each of us look not only to our own interests, but also to the interests of others.
And my last point, point three. Those who live for the gospel will have sorrow. Those who live for the gospel will have sorrow. So we see from our text that Epaphroditus was ill. He was ill near to death. And we see that God had mercy on him. But not only on him, but on Paul also. Paul loved Epaphroditus. To, to lose him would have been hard. There are two things in this portion of Scripture we can see. The first is that God has, was the one that healed Epaphroditus' sickness. As a matter of fact, he could have prevented the illness in the first place. God has the power over disease. He has the power to push back a cancer or to push back a kidney failure or any serious disease that's out there. He has the power to stop it from developing in the first place. The second thing that we need to see is that God prevented Paul from having sorrow upon sorrow. But the thing he, is he did have sorrow upon sorrow. Even though the death of Epaphroditus was not one of them, Paul had sorrow upon sorrow. For example, in Philippians 1, 12 to 13, it says, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel so that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. He's in prison. That's sorrow. In Philippians 1.17, the former proclaimed Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. He's got people preaching the gospel to afflict him. That's sorrow. In Philippians 2, 20 to 21, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare, for they all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. His fellow workers were letting him down with their own self-interest. That's sorrow. So when Paul says, <clears throat> God spared me from sorrow upon sorrow, we could have prevented, sorry, he could have, when he could have prevented the illness in the first place, when he could have prevented any of these sorrows, and he didn't, God saved Paul from one more sorrow. What does that mean? Well, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 shed some light on how God works. It says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. What Paul says here is that no temptation has overtaken you. Not every temptation is a sexual sin or a temptation to steal. It might be a temptation to cast God when you're sick. Anything that you would threaten your faith is a temptation. So Paul says no temptation has overtaken you that is common to man. God is faithful, and he will not let you be tempted. He won't let another sorrow be piled upon another sorrow beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out. In the sense that you will be able to endure it. So when sorrows start to mount up in your life, God knows what you can endure, how much you can take. And you should cry out to him for relief. And he will hear your prayer. The only, 
and only allow those things that are good for you to come into your life. Here's an example from 2 Corinthians 12, <clears throat> 8 to 9. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about this thorn in the, thresh, in the flesh, that it should leave me, and it didn't. Along with all the other things Paul had to deal with, there was this thorn. But Christ said to me, my grace is sufficient. That is, God is faithful, and he will not let you be tested beyond your ability. His grace is sufficient for you. For my power, he says, is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. So God has the power to heal the sickness, to heal sickness and prevent it in the first place. The sickness was hard enough for on Paul, and Epaphroditus' death would have been very hard on Paul. And so God spares him that. And God knows that he's pushed Paul as far as he's going to push him in bringing into his life those experiences where he has to cling to God and does not have any resources in himself to handle it. God knows what's best for us. We must trust him, which is what Paul did as he cried out for help and accepted what God gave him. You see, Paul learned to trust God in hard times. Throughout his discomfort, throughout his sorrow, he trusted God. I think of my wife, who is one of 14 siblings. And her mum died. And when her mum died, and then a year later, her auntie died. And then four months later, after that, her sister died. And then six months later, her niece was murdered. This was sorrow upon sorrow for her. But God has sustained her, giving her only as much as she can bear. Next time you're overwhelmed with sorrow, call out to God. 1 Peter 5, 6 to 7 says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him because he cares for you. Which is to tell God everything, the good, the bad, and the ugly. Tell him all that's going on because he cares for you. So the conclusion of this portion of Scripture says in Philippians 2, 29 to 30, So receive him, that is Epaphroditus, in the Lord with all joy and honor, such men. What type of men is Paul talking about? What kind of men is Paul talking about? Men who, when they get sick, don't grumble. Men who trust God's sovereign goodness, and he will not allow any more sorrows to pile up on us but instead he will give us grace that is sufficient for us. Men who live for others. Men who know that God will supply all that they need in hard times. Such men as Epaphroditus, who didn't grumble, he trusted God's sovereign goodness, and he poured out his life for Paul and for the Philippians. And when such men are honored, God is honored. And throughout Philippians, we've seen Timothy as an example of, of these type of men. Paul as an example, Epaphroditus as an example. All were living to have the mindset of Jesus. Jesus, when he left heaven, trusted God during hard times. 
He did nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility he counted others more significant than himself. He looked not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. And though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant. Being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Why did he do this? He did this because God is angry with the world. Why? Because we suppress what is true about God in an unrighteous living. But God so loved the world that he gave his only son, Jesus, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. We need to trust God in hard times. The only way to do that is to submit our lives to him by accepting his son, Jesus. By confessing with our mouth that Jesus is Lord and believing in our hearts that God raised him from the dead and we will be saved. Will you learn to trust God in hard times? You can only truly do this by turning away from sin and confessing Jesus as Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you for the examples in Scripture that we have of those who look, don't look for their own interests but look for others. Help us, Father, to, to be those individuals who, who look to Christ as their example. Help us, Father, to, to be like Paul. Even though we are, you know, we may have sorrow upon sorrow, we look to, to the need of others. We look to be merciful as we've been shown mercy. And even as Paul is in that prison thinking of having to send him back, having to send Epaphroditus back, knowing how difficult it could be. Grateful for the company that he's had, for Epaphroditus ministering to his needs. And yet still, he's other person-centered. He's not thinking of his own interests. He's thinking of the Philippians. He's thinking of Epaphroditus. Help us, Lord, as we As we go from here today, to be other person-centered, to the glory of your name, amen. Join us next time for more of God's truth to transform your reality.